You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends. Welcome back to Practically Pastoring. And as you heard, all the boys are back in town. The boys are back in town. All five of us are here for the very first time. I am Frank uh, here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We have Jeff Simpson all the way in Baltimore, Maryland. What's up? We have our buddy Delmar, who hopefully is connected. (laughs) All right. And then we got down in uh, Central Florida. I guess we'll start with uh, Andrew down in Safety Harbor, Florida. I'm actually in Clearwater, Florida tonight because I'm at home. All right. And then. And I can't afford to live in Safety Harbor. And then, uh, 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 alive with the living, with a resurrection similar to Lazarus, are you, are, do you live in Trinity? I, new, I am in, that, I am in scenic Trinity, Florida. I just scenic preached on Trinity, Lazarus. Florida. It's, it's Newport, Richie. It's, it's on the Trinity Timothy, side of 54, Andrew. I called Tim- Timothy the other day and said, Timothy, come out. And he came out of COVID. He shouted at me. Yeah. He did. I, I walked right out I'm of the hospital. I'm a faith healer. I'm a faith. I'm a faith healer, bro. He he actually I had sent a, him a staff. Prayer cloth. He slammed the staff on the ground. I and did. Said, COVID, you shall not pass. And I was it. You I shall not. No. And then I blew. I blew into the phone. <laughs> the wind of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> but I, I it wasn't just in. the wind of the Holy Spirit. It was kind of like Ghost Dad. If you ever saw that movie, oh, with yeah. Bill Cosby, where he yeah. actually reached in through the phone that, and smacked him okay. in the chest. That movie freaked was me great. Out. Did you do those handkerchiefs have like your image in your snot in the cloth? Yeah, that's why I saved it. Amazing. For a long time, I just assumed COVID was a thing for like the very, very like ill or elderly. Me too. And the fact that you are the healthiest person on the Practically Pastoring podcast and you like got pneumonia and you were hospitalized, uh, that terrifies me. So tell us all your experience and then and then kind of how how it is being back with living. Yeah, I mean, first it's great to be back. I uh, was a little, a little nervous there for a few minutes. Things got a little dark. Uh, things got real spicy at first. I, I may or may not have consumed a COVID chip over at Sunday Cool HQ, or it was at the restaurant before the chip. Either way, guys, you were in the car with me, and I, I definitely had the Rona at that time. I just wasn't aware. Well, I'm going to share with you that on the Sunday when we all found out you had the Rona, the following weekend. I went into panic mode because I was in vaca- on vacation with family members and I went to a Lakeland Regional Medical Center because I was in Lakeland visiting my sister mm-hmm. when I found out on the group chat. Went inside to go get a test and they told me, I said, uh, I need to get a COVID rapid test. They said, sure. I said, how much? They said, do you have any symptoms? I said, no, I just think I may have had an exposure. They said, then it's $100. And I said, what if I have symptoms? They said, it's free. I said, I'm achy. no but for real what happened is i texted my wife while i was sitting there i had already given the lady my credit card my credit card and starting to give her like the information they get and my wife was like don't pay 100 bucks we're we're gonna do something else and i was frustrated and she was frustrated so i kind of got up and like left in a huff like never mind i'm not doing it and i got in the car and then when i by the time i got to the car she was like Okay, I just found out our insurance will reimburse us. So just go ahead and go back in there and get the test. And I said, I'm not, I can't go back in there now. You've already made a stink. Are you, you can't go back. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I made a stink. I can't. It doesn't matter that no one was in there. I just can't do it. So we drove like 10 minutes to a different 
Lakeland Regional Medical Center location. <laughs> and I took the test and holy cow, that test mm. literally touched my brain. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they do. Both nostrils. It, it was terrible. And I was negative. So do you, do you know what Frank and I did? Nothing because we got vaccinated. Wow. Hey, I'm one for two now. As soon as I got home, I, I had to get a test maybe in November. One of my kids was sick. And the doctors thought he should get a test. Therefore, his parents should get the test. And so it was like the drive-through test. It was at Tropicana Field. And uh, nice. yeah, I had to like drive home after having my brain punched with that Q-tip. It was it was unpleasant. Oh gosh, Tim, did you have any like weird thoughts? Like, did you have any like man? I like when you got COVID. What's the strangest thing you considered, thought, or feared? Well, I'll walk you through it because by Wednesday, I just didn't feel good. And I was texting you guys and I, I had texted, you know, Jeff and Frank separately and just kind of checking on them. And I just I thought it was the chip. Like I, it was legitimately spicy. I, it hurt my head. I, I thought, you know, this is probably going to linger for a few days. And then the diarrhea set the diarrhea set in and, and my ears were like felt like there was weights on my ears. And I was like, why is everything so heavy? My head's getting weird. I went to an elder meeting on Wednesday night against my my good wife's recommendation. She said, "I don't, you're not looking good. You probably shouldn't go." I went. I I gave two of my elders. Well, at least none COVID. of your elders got sick. Well, <laughs> oh wait. So that that night, I gave two of my elder, elders COVID. One of them just got out of the hospital. Uh, I I had no idea. Whoa. And then Thursday hit. I'm like, man, it's getting worse. Friday, not not good. Chills, fever. Saturday morning, men's prayer breakfast. I go, I, I keep my distance. Oh. <laughs> I, I wasn't sure. I don't miss the, you know how it is, guys. Come on. As pastor, the, you've got these things. You just don't miss these things. I didn't I didn't think anything of it. Saturday night, the fever really kicks in. Sunday morning, Steph's like, you, you can't preach like this. And guys, it was Sunday morning. I didn't have a choice. So I went straight to my office. So you preached with full-blown yeah, COVID. Full-blown COVID Sunday morning. I went to my office uh, during worship team practice, fell asleep on the couch, woke up just before the service, uh, went in during the third song, straight to the stage, preached, came off the stage. One of my elders grabbed me, not literally, he was six feet away from me, and said, are you okay? And I just looked him in the eyes and said, no, I'm not. He, he saw my eyes completely glazed over, and he said, well, you have one more service. And I'm like, I know. He said, what do you need? I said, sleep. He said, well, go to your office. So I went to my office, fell asleep again, Woke up in the third song of the next service, strolled in completely glazed. I I don't remember preaching. I, I I watched it for the first time this past week to post it on the website, and it was it was weird. Like I'm thankful I manuscript because I I could not have preached from memory or a rough outline because I was I was leaning on the manuscript that day for sure. Left church, went straight to the rapid COVID testing site. And it was pretty obvious I had already lost my sense of taste and smell by then. Everything hurt. Tested positive. So I just went home, thought I was going to heal up at home. Monday got worse. Tuesday got worse. And Andrew started getting worried about me on Wednesday. I could tell by his text messages. And then Wednesday night. I stopped making fun of he, him. He, it was Wednesday when Andrew stopped making fun of me. Every day got progressively worse. Things started hurting. It started hurting to breathe, which is weird because... <laughs> <laughs> as as there's a popular band called Need to Breathe, I Need to Breathe, and it was not pleasant. I told Steph on Wednesday night, something's in my chest. Turns out that something was COVID pneumonia wrecking my lungs and my ability to breathe. So I hit the hospital that night. They checked me in and said, you're not leaving tonight, bud. Now, I was expecting to go in and, and just, you know, get checked out, get the medicine, whatever, leave. 
And they're like, no, 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 you've got, you've got five packs of remdesivir your body has to get through. And that stuff wiped me out every day. I just was more and more weak and could not move. I'd go to the bathroom, get back to my hospital bed and I'd fall asleep for six hours. Like I just, I could not move for three days straight. I was on the oxygen the whole time. And then finally, I mean, there was a, like to answer your question, Dell, like there was like a really dark period on Friday morning. I had FaceTime my wife in the morning after the doctors came in and said, you didn't get better. Uh, your, your oxygen levels just dipped into the eighties. We don't know. We might have to have respiratory people come in and check you out. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, am I going on a respite? I got to know what I was going on next. And I, I literally cried on a FaceTime with my wife. Cause she's, I mean, she was in tears. She was like, you, you're going to come out of the hospital. Right. And I, I couldn't say yes definitively cause I didn't know. So I had started a list on my phone of all the bills I pay and the things that I do just in case, like, so that way she knew it got that dark that fast. So like, I, I didn't take it seriously and I probably should have, but by the grace of God, I had a lot of people praying, mostly Andrew. And by Saturday, I, my oxygen level had shot back up and I, I told him I, I need to heal up at home, even though I knew I wasn't ready to leave the hospital. I just didn't want to sit there anymore. So they, uh, they said, okay, we'll get you out because you're the youngest guy on the floor. And I, which I, I didn't want to hear that, but it is what it is. So I, I got out of there. They wheelchaired me to the car. My mom picked me up and she's like, why are you leaving? And I said, I, I can't, I just can't sit in this hospital bed one more day. So they, they took me home and I attempted to heal up at home and, Finally, I, I think it was by day 18 or 19, I finally started to see progress and slowly was getting energy back. Boys, it was rough. Thankful we had a great church, a church family who loved me, delivered food, meals. They took care of us for all this time, but it was rough. My wife got it. My kids got it. Steph was having to take care of all five kids with the major Rona. She was struggling. So it was just, it has not been a fun 27 days. I went by his house on Thursday. So he got out of the hospital Saturday night. So five days after he got out of the, the hospital, I went by his house to pick something up from him. And he was standing out in the driveway holding the thing that I was picking up from him. And my thought was, he looks like Tom Hanks in the middle of Castaway. <laughs> I, like his, yeah, I dropped, his, you know, his, 17, his, 18 his pounds. His beard was all scraggly. When you can't was, taste, you don't really have a desire to eat. So I, did, I just, I kind of stopped eating a whole lot. And lost a lot of weight really fast. But over the last eight days, I've been able to gain pretty much all of that weight back, which is good. And then today... Were there any diamond uh, in the roughs for you? Day, um, Other, knowing... Tim had a video Tim had a video yeah, went viral. The video, the, the video went viral. It got a lot of views. Really seeing my church family step up, my leadership team just coming alongside saying, look, just just, just stay home. Like we, we, will, we have got this covered for as long as you need. I mean, that was great to see, knowing that as much as I think it all depends on me, it, it does not all depend on me. So I'm so incredibly thankful for my church fam. And the Obviously good news is you've because... probably met your deductible for the year. So, you know, go get your stuff worked on. Dell, listen, <laughs> when you live in the state of Florida and you have five kids and you have a housing allowance as a pastor, the Fair government point. pays for everything. <laughs> I, Fair I, point. I, I've, yeah. been on, I've been on 100% Medicaid for a long time, so... Mm. I, I have no deductibles to meet at all. Well, then my dad you're preached welcome those to I was out, which was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I, pre I appreciate that. Yeah. And then I I, uh, I preached on Sunday. So here we're recording mm. on a 
Monday. So that was yesterday when I, I stepped back yeah, into the yesterday pulpit. Yesterday was Sunday. This is and today. Yeah, yeah, that's right. What's really, this what's is really funny after. is <laughs> after my dad preached his second week in a row, he emailed every guy in the church because my dad runs our men's ministry and said, gentlemen, I, I'd like you to make it a point to be there for Pastor Tim's return to church next week. And every guy said, you got it, chief. And they showed up in full force. So we had probably the biggest attended Sunday since Easter in, you know, in the middle of May, which is not, you know, really a high attended month. Which So it was, it was just really, really cool to have our, our people back and, you know, be back in the pulpit and preaching and not dying, even though I did have to rest in between services. I didn't fall asleep this time, which was good. So there you go. From Tim, from the grave and back again. Th- thank you for uh, for sharing. Uh, so if you're listening to this, uh, it, COVID's serious. Yeah, I mean, it, and it so sucks. Hope, hope, hope you realize that. And then secondly, um, go watch the Sunday Cool video where <laughs> Tim throws up milk everywhere. That's pretty amazing. Where you can actually see him catching COVID yeah, yeah, in slow motion. Slow there's a moment. Also, the behind the scenes of that is quite fantastic as well. If you watch their other video, yeah, it's quite good. Um, We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to talk about a clergy cliff note of something from the Today Show. All right. So uh, we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the clergy cliff notes. All right, welcome back. We have a good clergy cliff note for you. If you go to the show notes, you'll see a link. There is a Today Show video that was on YouTube where they interviewed the Hillsong founder, um, Brian Houston. That's his name, right? Brian Houston. Um, and uh, he br- the, the title is called Hillsong Founder Breaks Silence on Scandals Surrounding Carl Lentz. So we've talked about Carl Lentz. We've talked about... Uh, the what happened at Hillsong, New York. Um, since then, I don't think we've actually talked too much about this. There's been other, like two other campus pastors in the Hillsong universe. Uh, that, yeah, the Dallas one. I didn't even know there was one in Dallas. Yeah, there was a couple other campus pastors that stepped down since the Carl Lentz one. One was kind of like a, a inappropriate sexual thing. Like he sent like an inappropriate picture of himself. And the other one was like a toxic leadership thing, I believe. I I, I, I vaguely remember those. They weren't as high profile as the Carl Lentz one, obviously. Um, but in the interview, the the host, the interviewer, asked really hard questions. Like, I mean, she she was not pulling punches, basically saying like, do you feel any responsibility for this? Why does Hillsong seem to prioritize um, celebrities over the average parishioner? Um, she asked a question, can a church get too big, which was an interesting question. And, and, and I mean, went for the, for the throat that, you know, a lot of times, uh, these pastors, when they get the news, good, they, you know, she even asked about, you know, how does Hillsong handle their homosexual parishioners or people who have same sex attraction. And, and, and I'm just, I want to, I'm interested if you, the, the video clip was about eight minutes long. Uh, if you want to pause this and go watch the video and come back, you can hear our response. But I want to hear, A, how's the interview land on you? And then I have a couple other questions that I think, um, as I was thinking about this video, I wanted to ask you guys. So how does the interview land on you? This is probably one of the, the, the biggest pastors in the world in terms of his influence with both Hillsong Church and Hillsong, the worship uh, kind of side of things. What did you think of the interview? It, it actually hit me different in several ways because obviously being how they're Hillsong um, theologically and ecclesiology, like on several levels, I have some 
variant beliefs than they do. Um, but in a pastoral way, man, my heart kind of felt for this guy. Uh, especially cause you know, one of the things was like, shouldn't, shouldn't you have seen this? Shouldn't have, you have known better. Shouldn't you have seen the warning signs and like, sure he should have, but I'm going to be honest. How many times have I, as a leader had someone under me just doing something that I probably could have read some warning signs and didn't do it. And it ended poorly. So like immediately I went from like semi casting judgment to feeling like empathetic toward him. Like, gosh, I mean, I've, I've had a leader who I really loved at my last church and he ended up, turns out he was having an affair. And then after it was over, I was like, gosh, I could have seen that if I'd have just like not let my care, my feelings like towards this man get in the way for, you know, what's so obvious. So I do think those were tough questions and, and yeah, I've, I'm frustrated and I'm angry, but I'm empathetic at the same time. I thought it was a fair interview. And the the thought that I kept having is if they were part of a denomination, these questions would have been asked not by somebody on international TV. And I know that, you know, we've got, we've got friends, we've got listeners, we've got, you know, people in this group that not everybody's in a denomination or a conference or, or whatever. Or even it just may like be, a network but, or association. Yeah. Or even, a, or, or even a network, but it's, that was one of my comments to you guys when we were first watching it last week was it it's almost unfair because to say, well, you know, this shouldn't happen in churches. Well, no, it shouldn't happen in churches, but what Hillsong is doing would not have been possible at any other time in human history, let alone the history of the church, because you couldn't be as connected. So when you have a campus of a church in Australia, in New York City, it's going to be really hard for some oversight which is why maybe it's not the best idea to to be doing something like that. But this is why the conversations, the relationships with other pastors matter so much, because these are the questions that she asked were completely fair. They should have been asked years before it ever got to that point by a colleague in ministry, by a co-laborer and not a journalist. Well, and I would say too, like, I just think that whole you should have seen something is... Uh, to be t- totally cynical about it is t- just a trash attitude. Like if somebody wants to be deceptive and hide, they're going to be deceptive and hide. There's nothing you can't own. You know, Brian Houston can't own Carl Lentz's sin and his deceptiveness, you know? So like, I know what I, I know that we want to do that, but honestly, that's just like an attempt to, to like find someone else to blame and to hold somebody accountable. Who's really, it's not, he, he didn't do anything. Brian Houston is not responsible for Carl Lentz, uh, you know, doing some some deceptive stuff. Um, in terms of like the interview, I thought on its face, the interview is fair. But even just from the tiny church minimal video editing I've done and my interactions with the news, there's no chance right. that that stuff wasn't edited. Oh, 100 percent. There was one part where, like, you know, that they have like 35 minutes of video footage yes. or 40 minutes. Was she even? And it got edited it. down to. It got edited down to eight minutes. So I mean, I'd love to see the raw, unedited stuff to see how he actually nuanced some of the questions. Having said that, there were a couple of moments when I thought he got a little bit defensive, kind of. Uh, I mean, who wouldn't in his situation? But you know, the I thought the 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 interaction over like Justin Bieber's progress was kind of a to me it came off as like a weird defense for whatever. Like you know, I mean. 
I don't know if you can take credit for whatever progress Justin Bieber might have made. I know what he was trying to say, but then a little bit later he did the whole like, you know, is is Carl Lentz a little Brian Houston? Well, yeah, somewhat, but he's nothing like me. You know, which was kind of a strange, like, it was just the whole thing was weird, which again brings me back to, like, I'm sure that was edited in a little bit of a, I got the sense it was a little bit biased of editing. If you, you know, listen like, to the interview, you could tell there's a couple parts where he, go, yeah. where he goes up like this, and then they cut to the next right. question. There's a couple spots where you're like, that sentence was spliced because together. Because I, I, when you, when, I thought the same thing when I heard that, because basically the way that it was edited or the way it was put together was he's saying, well, when they say Carl Lentz is like a little me, that's a compliment because he's creative and he's a great leader and there's lots of good things. And then it cuts and he's like, but I'm I'm nothing like him. And he has oh, great yeah. abs. <laughs> I don't think Brian Easton has that bragging right. <laughs> yeah, Jeff, I'm w- I'm with you. I I my first thought on the interview was okay. There were some edits there, uh, even in the in the homosexuality question, yeah. where I was like, ah, wait, I didn't hear his full response. It was I wanted to hear the nuance. I'd love to see the actual uh, written uh, interview if they have it. If yeah, they have like it transcribed, it would yeah. be it would be really good to read that because. Um, at one point, Brian said, you know, something like, uh, you know, we love all of all of our all of our gay and lesbian LGBTQ parishioners and, and church members. And then it was like, uh, but uh, no, he said, unfortunately, we have to follow the word of God. And I was like, unfortunately, what? why is that? Yeah. Unf- like, that was an odd choice of words there, Brian. Yeah, that was escape. He was escaping the heat for sure, which I, I get it. I mean, you can feel. I mean, I mean, I, I think I've told you guys this story before, but you can feel that cultural pressure like everywhere you go. My wife and I in the foster care system, I mean, that was very present in, in the first little one that we cared for. And so but having said that, I like I think it's I just find it a disingenuous, like pretty biased line of questioning to drop the whole like. Uh, there are gay members who claim that they felt suicidal after like it, that's just like a trump card. And where where can Brian Houston go from from there? You know, there's gay people well, who claim and, that they're suicidal in, in after general, dealing with you like. In in general, that community has a higher suicide rate. Right. So that's that's like saying, well, your church is in the south and it's been reported that people that go to your church eat fried food after church. How do you feel about that? Well, yeah, demographically, that makes sense. Whether or not that has anything to do with me. Right. I know, Dumbo, you're trying to allude to this about like the, the ecclesiological like standpoint of, of Hillsong. I was actually surprised when he said Hillsong is a conservative church in that regard. Um, I would, I would have just assumed that Hillsong would be like, just kind of like indifferent, like they don't have a stance on it. And so therefore they wouldn't have a, a position. Well, I think he, I don't think he would have said that had he not yeah. been backed into yeah, that. It corner. was, it was really weird. I didn't like the fact that he like used almost as like orthodox orthodoxy as saying, well, I love gay people, but the Bible says no. Like, I was like, I, I yeah. feel like, I feel like a, there's the, he was like apologizing. Like, I'm sorry, but this is what I have to say. Almost. Yeah. I didn't, I, that felt really, really odd, but, um, but I felt like in general, I, I appreciate what you said, Jeff. It's like, like if a if a guy wants to hide something, they're gonna he's gonna hide it. And to put that kind of weight and responsibility on Brian I, is is unfair. You know what I'm saying? Um, but it does. You also bring up I forgot who brought this up. It's like, how can we 
how can there be any kind of um, accountability when the mother church is literally on the other side of the world? You know what I'm saying? Like, and and to be fair, I don't know what Hillsong structure is. It could be like, it could be that Hillsong is just a network of churches that are like minded, and therefore, like, there is no real accountability structure except that Brian is the face of the network. I don't really know. I haven't done much investigation into it, but it is just kind of weird that like Brian is like the everyone's shoving the blame on him. It shows to me that people don't really understand how like church networks really work because. I mean, to be Absolutely. fair, like, like not, not. It's just in the news a lot, Delmar. So I'm sorry, but like the SB, like you know, like a bunch of SBC churches get in trouble, right? No one's going at JD Greer's throat, you know. Everyone kind of just punches the denomination, not JD Greer, who's the president of it, right? And I think you're you're speaking to one of the things that maybe is worth like investigating is Hillsong is at the level and the size where. In many respects, it is its own denomination. And I would not be surprised. It's a denomination that's that I, I bet they're not even funded like centrally like a lot of mega campuses. You know what I'm saying? Like I bet our mega churches, I bet they're I bet they even have their own network of funding and everything. So like, yeah, if if instead of it was Hillsong, if it was Hillsong Baptist, you know, okay, then we can just punch on the Baptist some more and maybe some more candy will fall out that we can gripe over Facebook about. But like when it's you know, Hillsong, and it's not technically a denomination where we can point to the leader. It's almost kind of the heat. The way I look at it, it's almost the heat that the Pope had to go through when when the Catholic Church went down. They're like, oh, well, we didn't know all these cardinals and bishops and everybody were doing this. And it's like when you have that. Just for some, yeah, go ahead. For some clarification, Hillsong is yes and, whereas there's a Hillsong network of churches where they, you know, they'll, they'll send you their transparent PNG so you can throw it on your logo that says such and such church, a Hillsong network church. Mm. But then there's also the campuses of the church. So they're like franchised and, and owned. Exactly. Okay, they're like McDonald's. Exactly. So they're, they're corporate owned or franchised. Yeah. North Point's and, a little bit like that too, I think, we, on a small, a little bit smaller scale, but yeah. Yeah. L- yes. But um, the, the, the difference is, is that uh, the North Point church is like, hey, yes, you can use our teaching and put our stuff. Whereas they're like, no, you're doing your own teaching but we are still your overseers. And so like the, the, uh, the East coast church used to be Hillsong, New York. Now it's Hillsong East. Now who knows what it's going to be called when all of this is, when all the dust settles, but it was an actual campus of the church. So this wasn't just a, Oh, they're an affiliate. It's no, no, the org chart has Carl reporting to us. Well, and I would say one of the things to, to, to be positive or to give him credit for something. One of the things that I thought, Brian Houston said that was really good was when she asked about the church being too big and systems. I really like the quote where he said, um, we're learning to grow into ourselves." I think that's a great way to think about almost like it made me think, you know, we talk about progressive sanctification and positional sanctification. And I wonder if there's a sense in which as a, as a body that happens in churches too, like where a church grows and then they have to figure out how to deal with that. And I think, we're just watching a church do that on like a massive global scale where they're growing and like they have to figure out, wait a minute, now how do we deal with, you know, hiring a pastor on the other side of the planet who is still going to be under our banner? So, I mean, to me, I have really been a fan of uh, the way the village in, you know, Matt Chandler's church did their rolling off of independent campuses. Um, I do think, I don't think you can make a, 
right or wrong, black and white sin issue out of can a church be too big? But I also think I, I think I think prudence wise, we're showing time and time again that, yes, churches can get too big for their own good. And I think to discount that is to discount. We have an entire section in our Bible called wisdom literature. So, like, there is a place to say, yeah, there there isn't like a number in the Bible of what size is too big. But there's tons of stuff that shows us there's there's you know, we can exercise our own wisdom and discernment to say this is obviously now we have decades showing this. There's obviously unique problems that happen when a church gets so big that there's no way to really have accountability. But I think we we all know pastors and we all know churches that they got to 250. Yeah. And that was yeah. just too big for them. And we know churches that have gotten to 12, 13, 18, 4,000 people. And they're cooking and they're just going. So what's too big for exactly. you is not what's too big for somebody else. And it's yep. a parable of the talents mm. situation. And to much is given, much is required. And boy, I am very glad to be in my tiny little downtown church and not ever have the Today Show showing up if somebody says something stupid because the person that usually says Andrew, something stupid Andrew, I, I, I mean, I, I've, I've been telling my friends this often. Uh, when I think about uh, Frank you know, 10 years from now, where do I want to see myself ever after I've been visiting safety Harbor and seeing you and Tim and, and how you guys are loving your jobs. I'm like, I could definitely see myself just kind of like ending my years in a small to moderate sized church and just be faithful with the people they have for me and never get huge. Because I like, I remember one time this is me getting a little bit of attention, but not to Frank, if I didn't know you and have decades of years with you, I would say that sounded so patronizing. But <laughs> I know from you, it's not. Frank, Frank, are you <laughs> saying we're ending our years? I'm 33 that's what it years said. old. Well, you almost did. Am but I ending? That's, that is what it, sound, that is what it sounded I'm, like. I'm, I'm 38. You, you I'm are, the old man of this group. <laughs> I mean, you pretty much are winding down, uh, Larson. You, yeah, okay. I that. So <laughs> he crested the hill. <laughs> Kate, KB, KB said this once um, where he was like, Man was not created to be beloved by thousands of people. Like we were not created to be. And so he talks about, he, he was talking about this, about like getting on winter jam stages where there's 15,000 people in the place and they're just screaming your name. It's like, you, we were not created for this kind of reverence. And so I think to your point of like, like could a church be too big? I, I think there's a way where a church could be massive, but the level of accountability and plurality of leadership that needs to be in place in order for everyone to stay healthy, it, it's something that I don't think we've seen too often of. Does that make sense? Um, because I, I think I think the question is based on a on a specific presupposition about what health is in a church. To ask the question, can it be too big, is to assume that health and numbers and growth are are the same thing and they're just not a church can be really big and really healthy and a church can be tiny and really, really toxic and unhealthy. Like those two things are not, are not parallel. Yeah. yeah. Those are not mutually exclusive concepts. And in leadership, you know, maybe Brian, maybe he is in a place where he can overcome that stardom and whatever does it get to him. But here's the tension. If you're leading an organization that big, you're also having to make sure every leader under you is also at that place where they're not too big. You're not just having to worry about your own self. You're now like pastorally 
um, in some way responsible for the people under you. And I'm with you. Like what system is in place for that? You almost need a pastoral pastoral care team for that. Yeah. I think Rick Warren does a really good job of that at Saddleback. And, you know, they've been in the news quite a bit lately. We're not getting into all that, but just in general, um, the, when, when his son passed, he, he, when, uh, he and his wife tell that story, they showed up at their house and their small group was there. Like, here's this guy that's the pastor of a 20,000 person church. And there are 12 members of his church that aren't on staff, that aren't clergy, that didn't go to seminary, that they have the the gate code to get into the backyard. And none of us know any of their names. And none of us know any of their names, and that's okay. And they were the ones that cared for him, not the public speaker that makes $5,000 a weekend to go preach at another church, not the Abercrombie model turned youth pastor, but it was the people at the same life stage as them, the empty nesters, that lived in their zip code that made up their small group. No, it's, it's beautiful. I've told my elders, our, our home group leaders, that same thing, that the, the care ministry of Lakeview Church starts in the home group. Like you guys will know first and you should be there first. So I, and I got that from from Rick and Kay's story on their son. Wow, that's good. I, I think we're, we're going to end the clergy cliff on that. If anything, we, we this is an interesting uh, uh, case study. And I think it, it's going to... I think it's it, it's a small thing that's going to be continuing to to happen as we see these larger influential churches continue to make the news, and the court of public opinion is not looking too fondly fondly on these churches. You know what I'm saying? I, I thought that the uh, anchors talking after the interview was over was maybe the most interesting part. Yeah, because there was like a level of like um, almost cynicism, cynicism and yeah. like yeah, because um, even to the question of like. He, when Brian said, I don't think a church can be too big, they were surprised at, th- at that statement. They were also surprised that Brian thought that they have to grow into how big they are. And they and, and they were like – Like a corporation. Yeah. And they were and, – and that's a whole other conversation because 100% Hillsong yeah. is the size where it needs to work as a – somewhat as a business. And, 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 and if Hillsong doesn't have an HR department – I'm, I'll be surprised because one thing churches are sadly missing across the board is a good HR department. Uh, but that's another conversation for another day. Um, hey, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we are actually going to have a fun time just answering your questions. So we'll be right back. Welcome back. Uh, earlier in the day, I went on the, the Facebook group and I asked, hey, what are the questions that we have not answered or you want to hear answered? And uh, and this is what we're going to do. So it's going to be somewhat rapid fire. I want to hear a little bit from everybody. But uh, uh, here are some of the questions that were asked. Two people asked this question. So I would be interested to hear your answer on this. There seems to be, because of the pandemic, a lack of vision. One was from a family pastor, I believe, uh, uh, let me see what what's his role. Yeah, he was a family pastor, and the other one is a lead pastor. And so they're saying because of the pandemic, going forward, there's a lack of vision. How how what would you encourage them? Um, someone said the pandemic has highlighted the fact that we don't have a clear vision that ultimately results in numerous ministries silos. That ultimately results in numerous ministries being siloed, and most ministry leaders do not see what the other church is doing or going on. How, how would you uh, respond to these folks who feel like there's a lack of visions post-pandemic? I would say we spent however many months, depending on which part of the country you're in, not knowing what was happening next week. And are we 
online? Are we in person? What are we doing? Is everything canceled but Sunday morning? Can the you know youth ministry or kids ministry just drop coloring books off for kids at the door? What you know? So we were so limited, and the limitations would change each and every week. That the fact that there's no vision, I think, makes a lot of sense because I think a lot of us went into 2020 with 2020 vision. That was everybody's sermon title, January 1st, 2020, and it was terrible. <laughs> and boy, did we get that wrong. But this, the pandemic really changed everything. And so I think number one is you need to give yourself some grace and give your church some grace because what we have just been through, no one has ever been through before and no one taught any of us how to go through it. We were all just figuring it out and every step we took was wrong. Like just in general, someone was going to disagree with whatever. Now is not the time to cast vision. Now is not the time to retreat. Now is not the time to whatever. So I would say set a goal. Like, you know, if you're, if you are the senior pastor or you are in a senior leadership position, if you get to sit with the leadership team of your church, say, you know, come and pick a day, come the Sunday after Father's Day, come the Sunday after Labor Day, whatever it's going to be for you in your setting, we need to start moving forward. And if that means that 70% of our congregation is in the seats and 30% are online, then so be it. From this point forward, we're done, you know, playing it safe. We are going to march forward, but give yourself grace for the past year and a half because there is no blueprint for this. Andrew, I think you just nailed something huge. I think how many conversations have I had with a pastor and it's like, man, I can't wait till we get back to where we were, till we get back. There is no back. And I think if you're not going to have vision, if you are constantly looking back, like you have to look forward. You have to, you have to look towards what's next. Guess what? A lot of those people are not going to come back to your church. But you know what? A lot of people who never heard of you have heard of you now because you're online. You know, a lot of people who were semi-core, they're all in with Jesus now because they've had to rely on him more than ever. And what we do is we look forward um, because I, even now, like how many of y'all, hey, how many people do you have at your church? And then we throw out, well, pre-COVID we had, and then we have this now. And I think it's time for me just to be like, no, this is what we have now. And, and I'm going to look forward. And my decisions are not going to be based on how do we go back anywhere. You know, at our, um, at our church, we always talk about taking your next step. And, and that's really our big vision is we want to take your next step to help as many people as possible um, step toward Jesus, which means we don't look back. We, we appreciate what he did with us, but we're looking forward. And I think that's a big part of the vision, Andrew. I think you're right on the money with that. Yeah, I think we have to be careful here, though, because we can look at the pandemic in 2020 and we can use it as a cop out. We, we could say, you know what, we don't know what's we don't know what's going to happen next. We're, we're going to kind of linger here for a while. And I think that's why I appreciate Andrew didn't stop there. Uh, he, he said, let's give yourself a date, which which we just did. It was this past Wednesday, our, our elders and my leadership team, we decided it's, it's time. So we're actually uh, in the midst of a three month planning phase. It's called taking Lakeview to the next level. We uh, unveiled phase one uh, via email this past week and just asked the congregation to start praying. Uh, there's going to be some tweaks and some changes and some subtle things being made. But this is an effort and for us to start casting vision to start dreaming, planning, brainstorming, and then we're going to start implementation with a discipleship strategy in fall of 
this year, 2021. I, I know with that question about vision, there's the side of if you're a leader, a lead pastor, a senior pastor. Um, but I think asked uh, from more the perspective of like, if you're a youth pastor, maybe a worship pastor. And here's what I would say. Number one, uh, I definitely was that guy that was like frustrated in the second or third chair. And now that I'm in a different chair, it's a different perspective. And, you know, I would just say, definitely give your lead pastor some grace because he went through COVID too. Uh, but also at the same time, if you're realizing that you have a major like difference in vision, I am going to just maybe push you to consider that maybe that was existing before COVID and that it's not just that COVID revealed that, but that maybe COVID pushed it on you a little more than pre COVID. Cause I know that as a youth pastor, at least in one church and maybe in a couple as a worship youth pastor, there were things that like were said in job interviews that I kind of thought to myself, I can deal with that. And just, but then two, three years later, it really frustrates you because you feel like there is no vision here. When the reality was you might've agreed to serve in a role where you didn't really align, but you just wanted to say yes, because you wanted the job or you were just excited. And now I think COVID probably just accelerated some of that. So I would just encourage you if you're a student pastor, worship pastor, children's minister, uh, whatever, and you feel like there's a lack of leadership, ask yourself if that is strictly because of COVID or maybe really did it exist deep down before COVID and this is just sort of pushing it on you now. Jeff brought up a good point. I, I miss Kelly's comments. I'm glad you caught that. Um, I actually, there's something similar to happen here. Kind of talking about from leading from below, there there was a question brought up from, he says, our church is going through a pastoral search, had a candidate, Oh, maybe we shouldn't say the names of the people. <laughs> By the way, <laughs> they're, they're, I'll edit this out. Uh, uh, there was a comment that said our church is going through a pastoral search. Had a candidate came and preached twice and then withdrew his name. I'm the only full time staff member currently on staff. I'm not. I've not been brought in to help with the process. Is this normal? How would you handle this? That's tough. That's tough, man. Uh I'm assuming, let's assume that he has, there's a search committee and I'm going to assume there is a search committee because that's pretty normal. I know that that definitely would, if I was this guy asking this question, I would feel very, very left out and like it, it really could cause a breakdown of trust where he does not feel that his opinion is valued even though he's kind of, you know, lifting all the weight right now in terms of being a staff well, he's uh, the minister, only. So. He said he's the only full time staff member. So I find it odd that he wouldn't have some say yeah. in something. Uh, that's what I'm saying. I find it yeah. odd, and it makes I me think, think it's is very there more... normal to what churches do. <laughs> it's yeah, I, it's I, normal I, to what I, they I, do. Like, I, I, staff it's, it's it's not healthy, but it sure is normal. My my, yeah. my guess is it's a smaller church. There's a senior pastor, and the second hire was a youth pastor, and the yeah. youth pastor is full time. Senior pastor stepped down, and the the whatever the the board that's looking for people are are not they don't care about the youth pastor so they're just kind of, kind well, of going well or over they don't want to give him the impression that he's in the running if he's not maybe he's maybe he's shared a desire that he or he's acting like he wants to and they want to make sure that he doesn't get the impression that you know maybe there's a chance oh that now this guy pulled his name out maybe we'll talk to you know this person who left this comment so there, there's a lot of interesting there's factors variables. but what i'm saying is yeah, I'm saying it's very normal for you to feel like this is weird. 
and very normal. You're not crazy for feeling like, gosh, don't they want to hear my opinion? They may not want to hear your opinion because they may assume that you'll be biased and mm. not want to hire anybody else because you want the job. Well, they may be I, wrong in that assumption, but they may be assuming that. To be, I lived this exact same situation, and and because at my at my first church ever, um, within within a year of being there, they had to ask the pastor of eighteen years to leave, and then they hired a new guy, and they were going through all these resumes, and y'all, they were just throwing them in the trash. And uh, I looked at one of them. One of the guys was from a one of the village church churches applying at our church, and they chucked it in the trash. And and finally, you know, I stepped in and said, "Hey, so how's the process going?" And they said, "We'll find somebody." And this is how I met my pastor. I was in the youth room getting ready for a midweek service, and they brought in this guy. And they said, "We think we're going to hire." Um, they said, "Hey, come to the door." They said, "Pull me aside." They said, "We think we're going to hire this guy." And then they brought him in, and I met him. That's when I met my boss, just randomly in the youth room. And I will I will tell you, I don't want to alarmist you. This could be they could be a lot wiser than my church, but this pastor who they hired was probably one of the 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 poorer hires, the more poor hires they had in the last half a century. And it was just done kind of willy-nilly. They didn't get any other staff input. And I had a good relationship with the church, but to, to your point, Jeff, it did, it made me feel like, wow, is my opinion not matter? You know, I, you know, but to go back to give the church the benefit of the doubt, if it is a smaller church, a lot of times there's a different mindset and the mindset of the deacons at my church were, ain't no fella should hire his boss. That don't make sense. And I mean, it was really just old, it was old school thinking. So it wasn't it wasn't against me, and that helped me um, not withhold grace. And I would say too, like the probably, and Adele, your situation. I went through the same situation too, where like the the hiring committee didn't ask. But the reality is that like that system and that structure was in place before you got there and before I got there. So to expect it to change just because you're there is is not you know reasonable or fair if your church hasn't hired in a long time chances are they may not even have a system like like our church didn't have a system like it was the other guys out we had to let him go uh we'll put together a committee okay where do we get resumes uh we'll contact the, the denomination like there wasn't a system so like part of me was like okay i need to give grace because these people don't do this every week you know, right now at my church, there's a system for that system. We've hired like eight, 10 people in the last year during COVID, you know? So like if a church is bigger and it's more well-oiled, so to speak, in the hiring and department, then yeah, there's going to be a lot more processes that are almost automated. But if you're in a small church that hasn't hired in a long time, then, then chances are that institutional memory may not even be there. And also don't forget, like as much as you want to be critical of the hiring process, they hired you. So like whatever the process was, you can be so critical of it, but don't forget that's how you got there as well. Yeah. If you're listening to this, it's weird. I feel like, like Jeff said, uh, it's going to hurt. Um, This is where I've said this before. This is one of those times where you got to separate God's church with the, the, the job of the church and understand that sometimes things like this happens and it sucks. And, 
And uh, maybe these are one of those type of situations where you evaluate whether this is really where you want to be if they're not going to value your 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 your. This is your the, these are the moments when you know. really got to find out whether this is a calling for you or not, because it's it's just hard, and these things are going to feel like betrayal. There's there's a question here, um, and I I'm so I don't know if Delmar, if you're involved in your church's like offering, like I see the budget and the in the grand scheme of things, but I don't actually have any say in the budget and stuff like that. But here's a question that was brought up: Our church has recently seen our offering tank during our shutdown last year. They were they were strong. Now they seem to take a nosedive. My leadership doesn't see this as a problem because we have a money. They have they have money saved up. Anyone who approaches this topic with leadership is almost blacklisted and treated as a negative force. How would you approach this from a youth pastor's perspective? I care about our church and the people who have looked at the reports and numbers. People are still giving, but they don't have the trust in leadership. And the lack of vision and follow through, which I believe has led to our people giving to designated accounts and such because it's the way. Okay, long story short, giving giving is t- plummeted. There's a lack of trust. He's a youth pastor. He he doesn't really feel like he can talk about it because people who have talked about it in the past have gotten beat up about it. Guys, what would you say if you were in the youth pastor position? What would you do? And second, what kind of encouragement would you give in a sense that you know, giving is tanked, which I think is kind of common as we're leading into the summer. We had a really rough April, so. I would say spend 103% of your budget as the youth pastor. If they're, if the leadership is telling you there's not an issue, then program like there's not an issue because ultimately you you want to be a good steward, but if the people that are accountable are saying this isn't an issue, then then it's not an issue. And I mean, if you're the youth pastor, it's not your issue. They, they that's know where that, I'm at. Like, you got to stay in your lane there. Like, I, they, I, I, they I know, don't worry about it. Yeah, they know the budget better than you know the budget. They know where it's coming from, and they know that you know. Well, Betty Sue hasn't been here for six months because of COVID, but we're still in her will, and she's not getting any younger. So she might not be dropping in her five hundred bucks a week, but we're about to get ninety thousand, and like. <laughs> That happens. The, 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 oh, that happens. And lots of churches with lots of designated uh, giving accounts like that, that's exactly where that happens. So yep. I would say chances are the people that are managing the budget have been managing the budget longer than you've been concerned about the budget. And have relationships that you don't have. And Exactly. So they know things that you don't know. And as the youth pastor, one of the things that I miss most about being a youth pastor is being able to close that door and be like, okay. I got the report. I saw the numbers, but I've been told that this is okay. I'm going to trust my leadership because that is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to trust the people that God has placed in leadership over me. And until it's abundantly clear that I can't trust them, I'm going to buy that ping pong table. I'm going to take those kids to Chick-fil-A. I'm going to make sure those camp scholarships go out. And you know what? I'm probably going to download a lot of resources written by Andrew Larson on DownloadYouthMinistry.com <laughs> because I have been told that I have my full budget, and so I'm going to spend like I have that budget. And maybe maybe buy some gift cards so that if the budget gets frozen in July, I'll have those gift cards to spend. And for sure, keep the receipts and track it well. And, and I think and I think like 
because I feel like the past two questions, some of y'all have answered a little harshly towards the questioner. I don't think that's the intention. I think what you're actually saying, Andrew, is is like it's not that, hey, stop asking questions, get in your lane. It's more of like if you're not responsible for it, be responsible for what you're responsible for, right? Like you're responsible over the youth budget. Manage, manage your budget, but you're not managing, you know, the 401ks and whatever else is going on at the church. Somebody else is, and that's either you, you either trust that the people that are appointed to those positions are, you know, yeah, you I mean, either if, trust if the, the money market structure account is there to, to get you through this summer, then that's what this the money market for. accounts for. And they, yeah. they probably have giving trends and projections just like we do. And we know that, you know, hey, come August, September, we, we typically see it in an uptick. So we're going to might have to dip into the money market account for a few months. I, my encouragement would be just, you know, I, I wouldn't lose sleep over this. You're, you're, you're moving into a busy, a busy ministry season as a youth pastor. I mean, that, that's where my focus would be right now. Well, and I, I will say this. If you feel like you need to talk it out, you are a member of that church. You know, like you're, you're a member, so you can always execute the right to say, hey, pastor, can I have a conversation with you, not as the youth pastor, but just as someone who loves this church and I'm a member, um, because you probably know more now and you don't have to tell me anything. I've done that with my pastor. I, there's some things that are well above my pay grade, but they concern me because I love my church. So I, I go to my pastor and say, hey, can I just have five minutes of your time? I'll, I want to put down to you the, the campus pastor hat. And I just want to ask, what do you what do you think about this? And and can you help me understand? I think that's one of the best phrases that I ever use in church when trying to find out. Can you help me understand? Because oftentimes they will. And but to your point, he doesn't have to tell us. But as a as a congregant, um, you are privy to certain conversations. Just like any congregant at our church, if they wanted to, they can walk up to the church and say, "Hey, what's your budget? What are you spending?" They could do that. I, I I think what you said, Dunbar, was good. Asking the question of like, hey, I, I'm a member, but I'm also I'm, I'm on staff. I just want to understand more. I think that's a good question. I've done that a bunch of times. But I'll say this, and, and Dunbar, I'd be, I'd be interested to know if, you're, if you've learned this the way I learned this, is coming on to my church where, where there's so many departments and, there's, and, and, and the scope is, is as large as it is. I, when I first came here, coming from churches where like, I was involved in everything. I was involved in the graphic design stuff. I was involved in the men's ministry and all that kind of stuff. When I came to this church, I realized that if I don't, it's not that I should just mind my P's and Q's and not worry about everyone else. But the reality is if, if I don't just worry about my own ministry, I actually might go crazy because I realize that I have no control over anyone else. And if I worry about everyone else's job in my church, it has like, over 30 staff members, then like I'm going to be so busy worried about what everyone else is doing that I'm actually going to be missing my own responsibility. You know what I'm saying? And so I think I think especially when I was in youth ministry at this at this church, I was like, I'm going to like not that I want the church to be siloed, but like I'm going to focus on my budget and make sure I'm faithful to my budget. And if and as long as my budget's good, I'm like like Andrew said, I'm going to trust that the rest of the church is knowing what they're doing because. I'm not necessarily called to sit at that seat. I'm called to sit at the seat where I'm at. I think one of the interesting comments that this this uh, gentleman used in his question here was his comment about designated giving. This is this is an issue at times, especially for smaller churches, when people and and I think I think he said you know they, they don't trust where the money's being spent, so instead they give to a designated account. And we actually experienced that a few years ago. People were 
getting a little vocal with me and some other staff members about our our previous lead pastor being paid too much. And in an effort for their money not to go to his paycheck, they would start giving to designate it. So this was a student ministry tithe. This was a kids ministry tithe. This was a, and they would not give to the general budget because they did not like where the, the money was being spent. I mean, that's a, that's a legitimate concern that we have wrestled with and, and had to work through. And then when we did come through that, we had to communicate to the congregation, Hey, uh, here is how your money is being spent when you give to the general budget, which is why we started highlighting certain things in our, our main worship services so people knew exactly where their money was going. That's good. That accountability and transparency. Because yeah. I, I, I don't know how you guys feel, but I really, I am like, I don't really like designated funds. We I think tur- that they lead, they lead to the a lot of... off on our online games. Oh, no, yeah, they lead to a lot of toxic... Fund. Yep. Toxic, like passive aggressive. Because honestly, if you are a member of a church and you were at the members meeting, you saw the budget and you don't like the way the budget's going and you voiced your opinion and it was answered in a way that maybe you don't like. And then you start giving to, you know, designated funds as kind of a passive. That's just rebellion. Like, I don't know how else is that, that you're just being rebellious and not trusting the leadership. And at that point, if you really think they're doing shady stuff with the money, that's a reason to leave. So either you should leave or you should submit to the leadership of the church. And I, I mean, and I know, Frank, you said don't be too harsh, but I think there's a couple a couple of uh, when I read some of these comments about, you know, I'm a youth pastor, I'm a I'm not the senior pastor. And I and I think our church lacks vision and there's no intentionality at all. I I those, those that lights red flags in my mind because I was that guy. And I know that I was in a very unhealthy place thinking I mean, I don't know how many times in my head I said, well, if I was the lead pastor, then I would blah, 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 blah. And the reality is you're not the lead pastor and you're not the elder board and you're not, you were called there for a specific reason to do a specific job. You need to just focus on that, pray through some of that stuff, work on that relationship. And, and again, your lead pastor is a person who's been through COVID and he has insecurities and he has all those things. So give some grace and do your job well. Don't let yourself spend 10 hours a week wringing your hands over a budget you really don't have any charge over and then not, you know, not leading your youth ministry well or whatever it is. Cuz I was doing that and it just was it I I needed to I needed to go. Um or or I needed to change what I was doing. I would add one more to that. I would say if you're going to go to the senior pastor and have that conversation as the church member or if you're going to go to the financial administrator depending on the structure of your church, uh-huh. make sure you're up to date on your giving. Because your financial administrator knows for sure what your paycheck is and they know what your tithe check is. So if you're having that conversation, you can claim all of the compassion kids you want. It's not going to matter. You're not going to have an ounce of credibility. Right. Andrew, I give cash. I just don't believe in uh, reporting on my taxes. I don't know what you're talking about. All those all those hundos that come in. That's from me. (laughs) <laughs> That's and those me. are designated to my specific pet fund. I want to give in secret, like the Bible may have said. Okay, I give um, it an envelope I, that says I, I, "Senior Pastor <laughs> Expense Account Designated." <laughs> can we do the uh, the last question from? Uh, we can say his name, Nathan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to do that. I'll, I'll do that last one. question. Um, who have been your biggest influences personally in your faith and um, vocationally in ministry? I would say uh, my pastor from when I was in uh, student ministry and my youth pastor somewhat, but 
now as I get older, I mean, my youth pastor was great and he invested a lot of time in me and I for sure learned a lot of things from him. His name is Jim. And, uh, but, but the senior pastor who is still the senior pastor just celebrated 30 years at the church. Uh, his name's Pat back in Newport, Richie, uh, really taught me a lot. I mean, I just had a texting conversation with him the other day about a process that they went through where he brought the church into a conversation, had them pray through it. They ended up deciding not to do it, but his perspective was, but the win in this is that I got the entire congregation praying together through this, even though we said no. And there was a few people who were frustrated. And I just, I just had this moment of realizing, you know, I tend to see things like that in ministry where like, I see these, these wins that aren't necessarily like the main thing, but they're kind of under the surface. And I think, you know, being around him for so long really taught me how to see that. So I really give him a lot of credit for the way he's led, like super transparent, always led with grace, never used guilt or shame. Uh, even when that did cost him a lot of, you know, I mean, cause guilt and shame can, you can move, you can move the ball down the field a little bit uh, from a worldly perspective, at least with some guilt and shame. And he just refused to do that. And so huge influence. And then, you know, I got to say my father-in-law as well in terms of learning how to preach and, Mainly with counseling, I'm just realizing now, man. I think some counseling training would be great. I would say for for my faith, my my dad. You know, like I, he's 67, and I'm waiting for him to do something that makes me lose confidence in him. And I, I mean, it hasn't happened yet, and I I just don't think it's gonna happen anytime soon. The way that he is never in your face, but is always incredibly faithful and growing up with that every morning, um, every, every evening is something that sticks with you. And then vocationally, uh, I, it's weird. Cause I was a, I was in youth ministry for several years at these big, fancy, cool churches. And none of the bosses that I worked for really impacted me at all. And then I was at a church in Texas when I was in seminary and I was the middle school pastor and the high school pastor was my direct report. And it was way more of a discipleship relationship than a, I'm the boss, you're the employee relationship. And I say, you know, the four years of Bible college and the four years of seminary did not prepare me to be a pastor nearly as much as the three years of working under him. I'd say personally, it was uh, have to be my my mom and dad. My my mom, because of her uncanny ability to pray without ceasing, she just doesn't stop praying. I mean, she'll wake up in the middle of the night, text me, praying for you right now. I'm like, mom, go to sleep. Like, what is going on with you? Like, it's just she just doesn't she doesn't stop. She's always praying, always checking on me, always just making sure that I'm okay, family's okay. How can I help? How can I pray? And then my dad's just been a rock my whole life. I think something that was big for me growing up was his uh, ability to say, I'm, I'm sorry. In fifth or sixth grade, my parents had a family meeting with us and kind of confessed their, uh, their fundamentalism to us and just said, we're, we're sorry for the way that we uh, that we've spent, that we've, that we've raised you these last few years and we're going to change. And they did, they, they made a change. And I, I never forgot my parents sitting us down and saying, we're going to change the way that we parent. And, it, and they did. And it was really, really cool and it made a huge impact on me personally, spiritually, then vocationally, probably, uh, one of my, one of my many youth pastors, uh, Matt Bush, just one of those guys, wasn't a, wasn't a crazy talented communicator. Uh, but when it came to discipleship and pouring into his students and his leaders, he was just that guy. 
I remember him taking me home from from youth group one night and us just having a, a, a great, great conversation in the car about ministry, life in ministry, what it's like. And he was just so transparent and open. Uh, just uh, one of those guys, you're like, yeah, wow, okay. I, I, not only can I hang with this guy, I look up to this guy. And it was uh, just a, a great, great role model in my life. I mean, I think personally, I, it has to be my mom. Um, uh, she she just exudes as an example of like having a peace that surpasses all understanding um, in the midst of just crazy circumstances. I just mentioned this in my sermon last Sunday. Like she's just a she's just a faithful faithful woman that I admire and aspire to be. Um, I mean, vocationally, like I, Andrew, you kind of said the same thing. I would say is like I didn't really have a ton of people. When, who I've worked with, I would say, like, has inspired me vocationally. Um, I would say my last boss, Paul, his name was Paul. He 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 was pretty great. So I, I would say no one's done this. So I don't know. I just admire all you guys because none of you have done this. But, like, none of you guys have talked about any, like, kind of, like, famous pastor. So I'll be the first one to be that dork and say that, like, my the guy who's probably impressed me the most is, like, Matt Chandler. I know we joke about him, but, like, I am one of those, like, Matt Chandler fans. And I actually, the reason why I'm at the church I'm at now is because of a conversation I had with Matt Chandler. So that, that, may, that might be for another day, but... Frank, yeah, I didn't go there because none of them went there. Okay, I, I didn't. I didn't know if, if we were. If we well, were. Well, I didn't go there because I didn't want to name drop that I had a conversation with a famous pastor like Frank. I know. Well, Jeff had a conversation with Ravi Zacharias, so he doesn't no, want to I admit didn't. that. So that's weird. <laughs> um, well, my dad was not a Christian until I was fifteen, but uh, I remember watching my mother at the end of our hallway in her bed every single night, praying for him and reading the Bible. And then he met Jesus and man, God's changed him a lot. So I, I watched my mom's faith. She had me in church. So I, I, I can't, I, I can't even get around it. Like she is probably my biggest spiritual faith influencer that I had because she helped ground me, you know? Um, so, and then beyond that is her father, my papa. He is a good old school KJV typical Baptist boy. But like when I would go to his house, he, he would always say stuff um, that would really make me think about, about Jesus. And it, it wouldn't be the most complex stuff, but it would be the stuff that I needed to think about. So it would be my pop and my mom. As far as vocationally, man, I really hate that this is a trend, but I feel kind of like uh, Frank um, just said, I haven't ever had like a long-term person who would per se be in my ministry who poured into me my current boss I mean he does a lot to try to try to coach me and I think he has coached me a lot it's been good but as far as one who coaches and inspired it was a guy named um, Mike Barnett he was a professor at my last church he was a bible college professor and uh, he just pulled me aside one day he goes I want to mentor you do you want to be mentored yeah what does that mean? And uh, he took me out to some lizard's thicket and we got some uh, uh, pancakes and waffles. And he started telling me, all right, this is what it means to be held accountable. And this is what it means. And we met. And then uh, he unfortunately passed away not too long after we started doing that. But those few months, um, God, God really put him in my life to show me. I think he gave me a glimpse of what we, what we sometimes do to others and don't even realize we're doing it. And uh, and that really inspired me. Well, 
uh, thanks for answering these questions, guys. And thanks for asking the questions for those who are uh, submitting them. If you want to be in our Facebook group, if you go to – actually, if you go to practicallypastoring.com, there is all the links for where you can listen to the podcast as well as join our Facebook group and all those type of things. Um, hey, thanks for listening. Please rate and review the show if you have a chance. Uh, we're so grateful Tim is uh, alive and healthy. And this has been uh, the first episode back that all five of us can be here. And uh, uh, assuming we can get our Wi-Fi figured out for next week, we'll do it again. So <laughs> so with that being said, uh, uh, please uh, rate and review the show. Do all those type of things. And until next time, I'm Frank Gill. Oh, we're doing this again? I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Delmar Pete. I'm Andrew Larson. And I'm Timothy Miller. And uh, this is Project Pastoring. I'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening. Get connected to other pastors by joining the Practically Pastoring Facebook group, where we get to share ideas and make each other better.